Brewers Publications, a.k.a. BP, is the largest publisher of contemporary brewing literature for today's craft brewers, home brewers, and beer enthusiasts. With over 50 titles to choose from, there's a beer book to fill most needs. Whether you're just discovering beer or are a seasoned professional, BP is the go-to choice for brewers looking to expand their knowledge and hone their craft. Check out the complete BP catalog at brewerspublications.com. Files, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, less ukulele. I don't know how Danny feels about that now. But hey, on this week's episode, we are focusing on actual recipes. Uh, we are going to take and dissect two of our classic recipes, and we're actually hoping to turn this into a little bit of a series where we talk to brewers about the decisions and stories that went into creating a particular recipe that they're known for. So without further ado, I think we have to start with Mr. Denny. Say hi to the folks, Denny. Hey, folks. How are you? All right. And so I don't think we never have a discussion about Denny and beer and recipes without talking about the beer that arguably everybody knows from you. Uh, and that would be the Bourbon Vanilla Imperial Porter. Yeah, this one uh, seems to be real popular with people, especially uh, right around the holiday season. And uh, that was kind of the intent. Uh, I used to make a batch of beer every year that uh, I would give away to people for Christmas presents uh, before I got too lazy to actually do that anymore. One year, it was getting close to Christmas, and I was sitting there talking to my wife about what kind of beer to give to people. I decided that, wow, something like a, a barrel-aged Imperial Porter would be nice, but it was close enough to Christmas so that I didn't really have time to barrel-age it, not to mention the fact I didn't have a barrel. So uh, I started kind of thinking about what kind of flavors you might get out of a bourbon barrel. And I decided that probably a couple of the prominent ones would be bourbon, duh, and vanilla. And so that the concept for the recipe was born of that. Now, set the stage for people, because you said I didn't have access to a barrel at the time. When about are you developing this recipe? Oh, man, uh, I'd have to go look at my notes to be sure, but I would say it was probably close to 10 years ago. Uh, I see here it was batch number 264, but I don't really have a date for it. So let's just, let's just say 10 years ago. Note failure. Note failure. I don't have them with me. I don't have them with me. Back then, you wouldn't have been able to find a bourbon barrel of appropriate size for most homebrewers. Nowadays, you can find five to eight gallon barrels pretty readily from like Balconies and Woodenville and, and whatnot. So at the time, not only were you operating under a handicap of not exactly having enough time, but you're also operating under a handicap of not having a barrel that you didn't have to brew 60 gallons for. Yeah, right. And, you know, and of course, I could have gone like the, the chips or chunks or something like that, but I have not had a lot of experience using those. So... I would have kind of had to figure it out as I went. So 
as I am wont to do, I took the easy way out. I, I thought that was uh, pragmatic. It was indeed pragmatic. It was uh, back in the days when I was heavily pragmatic, uh, which has led me to being even more heavily pragmatic these days. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, the beer itself. Uh, can you walk people through the recipe? Yeah, um, the recipe is 62% pale malt, 8.5% brown malt, and uh, this is a, a something you need to know about. Uh, there are a lot of malts out there called brown malt, some of them as light as 35 Levabond. You want to look for a 70 Levabond brown malt for this recipe. It is 2.8% Crystal 40. It is 5.6% Crystal 120. Why two crystals? I don't know, because it worked. It is 14% Munich malt. Uh, I uh, use uh, 10 Levabon Munich malt, generally a darker Munich malt. And it is 7% chocolate malt, which in a five-gallon batch comes out to a pound and a quarter of chocolate malt. Which, you know, oh yeah, people are going to say that's excessive, but you know what? That's what makes the beer work because the number one, this beer starts off at about 1086, but the thing you need to know is that it finishes about 1026. People have driven themselves crazy trying to get this beer to a lower gravity, and you don't want to do that in this case. At 1026, it is done fermenting. And that's what balances out all that chocolate malt in it. Well, and the bourbon and... Yeah, right. All of which, And the vanilla, all of which adds some sweetness to it, right? It's hopped to about 31, 32 IBUs. Uh, it uses a bittering addition of magnum and a finishing addition at 10 minutes of uh, East Kent Goldings. Uh, I've never really been sure that that East Kent Golding addition makes any difference but uh, i'm kind of loath to change anything because the beer seems to be great the way it is so uh you know why why mess with it real quick can, can we go back and talk the chocolate malt sure i know different chocolate malts from different maltsters have different flavors and different impacts do you have a preferred chocolate malt for this particularly since it's such a key component to the beer in in the past, I have used whatever 350 Levabon chocolate malt my homebrew store had and had great results with it. I have since the last time I made this become a huge fan of the Castle chocolate malt that's about 350. I use that in my no-tie brown ale. If I was going to make a, a batch of this these days, that is certainly the chocolate malt that I would go for is the Chateau. And I think the most common 350 Levabon chocolate malt is from Brees. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that's what I was getting from my homebrew shop. And you know, to tell you the truth, it, it worked great. Use Chateau if you can get it. If you can't get it, use the Brees, and it will be fine. Just like you know, the Munich malt in this particular iteration of the recipe I'm looking at says it was Durst Munich malt. But I've had great success in American styles using an American Munich, uh, specifically Great Western. I'm a, I'm a big fan of their uh, 10 Levabond Munich malt, uh, especially for American styles. Well, I was going to say, I think that works fantastically in IPAs, but that's mean. 
Yep, yep, I agree. And, uh, of course, the yeast for this is uh, Y Yeast 1450, Denny's favorite, because it has that really nice, rich, full mouthfeel to it that complements everything else about this beer. And did we get into mash? Uh, mash is pretty straight ahead. You just mash at 153 for 60 minutes, uh, like I do for like almost all of my beers, and that's all it takes, a single infusion mash. And like I said, when you see that this beer is not going below 1026 for a final gravity, you're going to freak out. But don't do that, because that is exactly right. All right, so we've covered the the ingredients and the malt bill so far, and the hops and the yeast. So now let's talk about the fermentation and what, uh, how you handle that, and how long this actually takes to go. Okay, um, I like to ferment fourteen fifty, starting at sixty three degrees Fahrenheit. I will leave it at that temperature probably four or five days, uh, and then I'll. Take a gravity reading. I'll assess how much croissant is on top of the beer. If it looks like I'm past the peak of fermentation, I will crank the temperature up to 70, 72 degrees for a few more days until I reach my final gravity. And then I crash it down to 33 for any place from three days to a week or so to help the beer clear. And that, to tell you the truth, that's pretty much my standard ale fermentation procedure. Well, I'm still laughing at the idea that you have to clear a porter. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, but it's it's true because, number one, it, it definitely makes a difference in the way it looks, even in a dark beer. I mean, you know, p- people say, well... I'm making a stout. I don't need to use Whirl Flock. I, I, I guarantee you that you do need to. A, a dark beer, you can still ascertain whether or not it has a bright kind of clarity to it. So I like to do that no matter what, what the color of the beer is. The other thing is it really affects the mouthfeel because it drops out a lot of the particulates in the beer. And uh, so you're not getting a, a crunchy mouthfeel to it. So you, you give that, that period of time during fermentation. When do we get to the bourbon and the vanilla? Right. So after the beer has fermented, I rack it to the secondary with the vanilla beans. This is one of the few times I use a secondary. I just don't want those vanilla beans to fall to the bottom and get buried in the yeast of a primary. The number of vanilla beans to use is always an issue because it's going to depend on the quality of your vanilla beans. If they're kind of old and they feel dried up, you might want to use three to five. If they're nice, new, fresh, juicy ones that have a lot of give to them, you know, maybe two will be enough. I split them lengthwise, run the flat side of a knife down the cut side to scrape out all the seeds and gunk inside. All that gunk goes into the secondary. Pods, I just chop up a little bit, toss them into the secondary also. I rack the beer on top of it. Uh, Again, this is where you have to use your senses and do some testing because it could take as little as three days and it could take as much as a week to get that vanilla flavor into the beer. 
I'll tell you one thing, and that is that uh, you want to end up with the beer having a bit more vanilla flavor to it than you think that you want, because it really fades rather quickly. It'll be the first thing to go. When you think the vanilla flavor is perfect, let it go for a couple more days. Then you rack to the bottling bottle, and that's where you add the bourbon. And as homebrewers, we have the advantage of being able to add bourbon that uh, commercial brewers can't do. I uh, have found that 375 milliliters of bourbon per five gallons of beer is just right for my tastes. This is not the time to break out your top shelf bourbon. I use Jim Beam Black, which is around 20 bucks a bottle. I settled on that strictly due to the price, since I am not in any uh, in any manner a bourbon drinker. I knew that I didn't want a very expensive bourbon. I also knew that I didn't want rot gut. Went to the liquor store. There was Jim Beam Black in kind of a mid-price range. I knew the name Jim Beam, so I gave it a try. To determine the amount, I poured four two-ounce samples of the beer and measured a different amount of bourbon into each one. Then my wife and I tasted all four of those samples, picked the one that tasted the best to us, and scaled that amount of bourbon up to the whole batch size. That came out to be 375 milliliters. So you can either uh, take my recommendation for the amount of bourbon or go through that little tasting process yourself and decide what you want to use. But please do not go breaking out your 80 buck a bottle bourbon for this. See, and if it were me, I'd probably be, uh, I don't know, running with 10 high <laughs> or rebel yell. Yeah. yeah. See, and that means nothing to me, but I, I will say that what you are going for in the, in the final beer is an integrated flavor of the chocolatey porter, the vanilla, and the bourbon. And if you use enough bourbon so that you can tell what kind of bourbon you used, then you've probably put too much in it. Either that or you're a whiskey lover. All right, so we've covered the basics of the beer. We've gotten it into into the bottle. We've gotten it into your glass. We've got it uh, tasted and, and done. How many variants of this did you make before you settled on this sort of final form, or did it come out of the gate and you're pretty much just happy with it? Uh, I think that I only did a couple variations because, again, I didn't come up with a concept until it was almost uh, Christmas. It was probably October or November. So I think that I probably did one batch of the base porter, tested it, Added, I think that's why I ended up with two crystals because I added some more crystal to it and cut back the hops a little bit because uh, I didn't want that bitterness. But this was one of those beers that you know took took minimal inter- iterations compared to some of the other ones I've done. Well, that's good. And then uh, any other variants that you've done? I mean, now I mean, obviously you settled on the core BVIP. Yeah, and the the core porter is a really, really good base for flavorings. Uh, a friend of mine who roasts his own coffee uh, used the porter to make a coffee porter that was just absolutely delicious. And uh, I, I one time uh, tried that base porter and put blueberries into it. Because it has such a strong chocolatey flavor, you needed to use a lot of blueberries. I think that I used between 8 and 10 pounds for a five-gallon batch. And the blueberry flavor was still subtle, 
but it was a wonderful, wonderful addition to that beer. And now, how many times do you think you've been served your BVIP? <laughs> that's a that's an interesting question. Uh, I you know it is really not uncommon at all to be traveling someplace and have somebody uh, give me some or uh, have somebody send a bottle to me. I've had uh, a few versions that were actually aged in bourbon barrels, and uh, although I'm not a huge fan of barrel aged beers, I thought that they were uh, really really well done. I, I can tell you though that. Uh, my friends around here eventually totally burned out on it. And if I threaten to make another batch for Christmas presents, now they start throwing things at me. Well, now you're just going to have to, I don't know, make a gin barrel IPA. <laughs> That's a good idea. All right. Uh, any, uh, anything else that you think people should know about the bourbon vanilla Imperial Porter? I, you know, I would say that I've pretty much touched on everything, but again, the, the points I'd like to stress are, don't freak out when it finishes at 1026, maybe even 1028. That's what the beer is designed to do. This is a holiday sipping by the fire beer, so that's absolutely fine. And the other thing that I just want to stress again is that don't add too much bourbon and don't go out of your way getting a really expensive bourbon to put into it. You know, okay, so I know you're a bourbon drinker. I know that you like the good stuff. But you're putting it in beer. You're not drinking it straight. So uh, save your money for your really good bourbon to sip and go get the Jim Beam Black to put in this beer. Yeah, no uh, no pappy in this one. I, I certainly wouldn't, you know. All right. Well, hey, if uh, you have any questions about uh, Denny's recipe for the Bourbon Vanilla Imperial Porter, uh, feel free to send him an email at denny at experimentalbrew.com. We will have the recipe listed up on the website and in the notes for the podcast. Today, I'm going to cover one of my favorite recipes, uh, which is my springtime in Amarillo. Years ago, I did an article for Zymergy called uh, Season of Saison, uh, and it was all about doing different seasonal saisons. And so, you know, it was an idea inspired by Phantom. And so I had uh, the Saison Classical, which is the Saison d'été. I had Saison Printemps, which is spring, uh, autumn, and uh, d'hiver uh, for winter. Now, this was back in the day when... I guess this was like 2008, so again, almost 10 years ago, before Belgian IPAs started to become a thing, before we had all the sort of new fangled hops that we have nowadays, uh, these lower phenol ones, really was just when we were starting to see the rise of the low cohumulone hops. And there's another beer out there from Three Floyds that I freaking adore, which is Gumball Head, which is a hoppy American wheat ale with a metric ton of Amarillo hops. And this was when Amarillo was the hot hop at the time. So think like how people treat Citra, Mosaic, and Galaxy these days. It's exactly how Amarillo was being treated at that time. I decided, why not combine these two things together? And so I ended up making a beer called Springtime in Amarillo, which is an American-influenced Belgian spring saison. So the whole idea is bright, hoppy, with good saison uh, notes to it, and just that big, burst of grapefruit Amarillo character. Usually I would say that 
Belgian yeast and American hops don't go very well together. But this is when we start to see the shift away from kind of the harsher phenolic ones that would interfere with the sort of natural yeast characters. This is also when we first started to see the rise of Y yeast 3711 uh, French Cezanne, which everybody says is, uh, what is it, uh, Brasserie, uh, Brasserie Therese uh, from north of France. And so knowing that, I, that that was where that beer was coming from, they had a beer, I think it was called... Uh, I want to say North Star. And it had one name here in the U.S. and it had another name over there. It was basically a big, bright, hoppy Saison. And so I decided if that beer works so well with European hops, why not try that yeast up against these new American hops that are low coho and, you know, fresher tasting and, and easier to deal with. And so that's where we started. And the recipe in the malt bill is, and this is all for five gallons, Seven pounds of uh, Belgian Pilsner malt, four pounds of German wheat malt, so about a 70-40 split on Pilsner to wheat. A half a pound of aromatic, because I like to have that little toasty character kind of hiding out there. And instead of using, say, a caramel, just that little bit of aromatic. And then a half a pound of turbinado sugar. Turbinado sugar to kind of really reinforce to get down dry, but also to still not be completely boring. The hops are... One and a quarter ounces of Amarillo pellets at 8.4% alpha acid for 60 minutes. Another half ounce of Amarillo at 20 minutes. And a Whirlpool edition of basically a knockout edition at zero minutes of one ounce of Amarillo. And then that's fermented with Y-Yeast 3711, the French Saison strain. I have done it before with the DuPont strains, but I actually do like this one better with the French Saison uh, yeast because I think it expresses a cleaner hop character. Yeah, that's just what I was thinking, man. I mean, that, that yeast, I can just imagine with Amarillo's, that would be wonderful. Well, and it has this great advantage of, you know, it gives those uh, kind of thicker mouthfeels as well, right? right? It dries out, but the slightly thicker mouthfeels gives you kind of a base better for the, the hop bitterness. Because here's the thing. The original gravity on this is 1065, which is a good, strong saison. And then the IBUs are about 65 IBUs. So it's a one-to-one BUG ratio. And so this has a fairly brisk hop character to it. Yeah, that's right up in IPA range. Totally. And that's that's kind of the idea here. This is my Belgian IPA, uh, but with a little bit more sweetness to it from the wheat and a, a big fruity character to it. Now, I mashed this at... Um, Used to mash it up in the 150s. Nowadays, I pretty much mash it into about the 148, 149 range. Let that go for 60 minutes. Boil for 60 to 90 minutes based on the timing of my day. But the hops still only go in for 60 minutes. Turbinado sugar only gets added at the last five minutes. And then I do my typical fermentation schedule on this, although not as aggressive as what I do with the DuPont strains. So chill down into 63 area, pitch the yeast open ferment and allow it a free rise and keep the temperature still in the seventies. Don't let it go up into the eighties and nineties. Like you can in my garage, let that go for two, three weeks, drop it into the keg. I like to cold crash in the keg to get a little bit of clarity and then transfer into another one. And then uh, slam carbonate it to get to somewhere between two and a half, three volumes. I don't want this to be super aggressively fluffy. If you get this right and you get it into the glass, it becomes kind of a big, sweet, juicy grapefruit. And it's really awesome. Wow. Reason for all these choices is, like I said, I laid them out. Yeah, you know, I wanted uh, I wanted to have that Amarillo because Amarillo was the hot hop at the time, and I really enjoyed Gumball Head. Right. Gumball Head made me also think wheat, and I already had the Saison recipes with some wheat in it, so I just upped the wheat a little bit, turned around, cranked this out. And again, that aromatic just gives you that slightly baked biscuity note, 
The turbinado gives you the sugar, but it also gives you a kind of a an interesting caramelly note to everything. The French Saison yeast just gets in and out of the way and provides a great base for hoppy flavors. You know, and I, I, I'm never, I've never been a, a huge fan of uh, beers with a lot of wheat in them, but I think I could drink that one. Yeah, this, this is a really, really spectacular recipe, uh, and it's one of the ones I'm, I'm super proud of. And ironically, the one that everybody probably knows now is the variant that was developed from this. Which is the Citrus Saison? The Citrus Saison. So like I said, back when I developed this recipe the first time, Amarillo was the, the hot hop. You know, that was the one everybody was going after. Citra has now come along and replaced it. Citra in this same recipe, and the Citra Saison is basically this recipe, sub-Citra for Amarillo, about the same gravity levels, about the same IBU levels. And Citra just presents a whole other world because now it's got all these bright mango pineapple flavors in it. And that really pops. Wow. And really kind of just makes for a superb beer. This was one of those beers where the very first time I did it, it was... I think the first time I'd used Citra, or the second time, I was preparing it for the Southern California Homebrewers Festival. And I had Charlie uh, Essers from the Brewing Network over here. He and I sat down in the garage and we were going through the beers because we were just having some fun, trying them out. And I poured that one. And it was that moment when, you know, something hits in front of you and it is just perfect. <laughs> and that's exactly what this was. I mean, right there in the glass, Fluffy, uh, you know, fluffy whitehead, because I think I took that one up to around three uh, volumes of CO2. Fluffy whitehead, perfect nose. All these mango and pineapple type flavors coming up at the top, along with a nice low earthy cinnamon character right behind it. So in a lot of ways, it almost smelled like an upside down pineapple cake. And then you got it into your mouth and it just kind of exploded with all this flavor. That thing was beautiful, phenomenal. And Charlie and I just looked at each other and were like, yeah, that, that's <laughs> that worked. That worked. That sounds great, man. Well, and that five-gallon keg was being poured out of our bar at uh, Southern California Homebrews Festival, which offered people, I think, like 40-some-odd choices at the time. And right. that keg still blew in like two hours. Boy. Because it was, it was just so – word about it spread so quickly that people just came over to it. And so it's a really, really beautiful recipe. But – it's the same, uh, that base recipe for both Springtime and Amarillo and Citrus Saison works marvelously well against almost all the newfangled hops that we have out here. And then a simplification of the recipe is actually what became the Saison Experimental. Ah, interesting. So there's a reason why I talk a lot about transformational type things, because I do a lot of transformation of recipes in order to kind of make sure I'm going from solid ground. So even, say, take the Clam Chowder Saison. Right. Right. <laughs> Please. <laughs> yeah. The clam chowder saison was initially built around the thoughts that came out of this recipe. Boy, that's amazing, man. I, and I do I do a lot of the same kind of things. It's like, you know, once I have a good solid recipe that I like and I know well and I know it's reliable, then I start changing up one or two things in it to try and make something new and different. Uh, you know, clam chowder I think is as far as either one of us has ever gone and Hopefully, it'll be as far as either one of us ever goes, huh? <laughs> Indeed. Well, I don't know. There, there are other ways that we can push that. Next up, ham hock beer. <laughs> They've already done bacon beer, man. Sorry. That's true. But no, seriously, I would say if you ever want to have what I consider to be just a perfect blending of 
American hoppy character and Belgian characters, really give this a try because I think this is outstanding. Yeah, well, you know what? And Belgian characters and hops really go t- together well. I uh, have made what I call a Belgio-American IPA uh, using uh, loads of American hops like uh, Chinook and Cascade and Centennial and then using the YU's 3522 Arden yeast, which has a, a kind of tartness to it that is a perfect complement for all of those hops. So, you know, I would say that there there is already a, a history of blending uh, American and Belgian styles, you know, American hops and Belgian yeast specifically. Yeah. Well, and I'm I'm not so hyped on the Chinook and Cascade up against it because I don't uh, I I don't like that that combination, but that's me. Well, you know what? And some people don't like Fluffernutter beer. Yeah, well, hey, whatever. Those people are strange. Uh, all right. So, hey, there you go, guys. Two recipes in 30 minutes. We hope that you enjoyed the show and that we hope that you got something out of it. Now, if there are other recipes that you want us to talk about, uh, other brewers out there with a great recipe that you know that that you'd love to see this sort of treatment, let us know. Uh, email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. Give us those suggestions. We're willing to go talk to anybody about beer because beer is awesome. That's right. We're crazy. We're bored. We'll do it. (laughs) All right. Well, hey, there you go. This has been another episode of The Brew Files. Please make sure that you reach out to us. You'll find us on Facebook at Experimental Brewing. You'll find us on our website at experimentalbrew.com. You'll find me on Reddit. You'll find Denny on every brewing forum known to mankind. And hey, what can we say? Denny, I think you have a line. Remember, always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And we'll see you next time on another episode of The Brew Files. Brew Files.